Good afternoon and welcome to Optimizing Clinician Facing Applications to Reduce Burnout, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Halo Health. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dr. Shafiq Rob, Chief Digital Officer and CIO at Wellforce, Dr. Peter Canning, Medical Director of Informatics with Asante Health Systems, and Jose Barreau, Dr. Jose Barreau, Co-Founder and CEO at Halo Health. So let's jump right into our discussion. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, Shafiq, let's start with you. Could you give us an overview of your organization and your role? We are in Eastern Massachusetts. Uh, we have one academic medical center known as Tufts. We have a couple of community health hospitals. We have a big uh, clinically integrated network of more than 2,000 physicians. We also have an extraordinary home health network that goes up to New Hampshire. Uh, that's the organization. My role, I'm the Chief Digital Officer for Wellforce, and uh, I only have three goals. One, bring joy in the life of the caregivers, bring joy, life in, bring joy in the life of the people who work here, and bring joy in the life of the community that we serve. Other than that, no other job. All right. Bringing a lot of joy. Excellent, Shafiq. We look forward to hearing more about that. Um, Peter. Yeah, sure. Asante is a three hospital system located in Southern Oregon. Uh, we serve about 600,000 people across nine counties in Southern Oregon and Northern California. Uh, we're a community-based system. Uh, we have a number of outpatient uh, clinics as well. I have two primary roles for the organization. I've been a practicing ER doc uh, for 10 years at Asante and continue to do that half-time. Um, over the past two and a half years, I've taken over the role of medical director of informatics. Uh, and work closely with our CIO as well as our other IT directors. I work closely with our IT training teams, um, and my primary responsibility is to run our provider informatics program, um, where we're constantly trying to provide better care with fewer clicks. That actually sounds good. It's sort of a tagline. Is that your tagline? Better care, fewer clicks? That's our clicks? tagline. I like fewer it. clicks, better care. That's our nice. tagline. Very good. Jose? I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Halo Health, we're a technology, healthcare technology company. We create a software platform for communications and collaboration specific for health systems, uh, trying to solve the unique communication uh, challenges uh, for healthcare. And so in my role, you know, I kind of oversee product development and uh, just the company in general, trying to, you know, maintain our clinical DNA and try to solve real problems. Uh, for people like uh, Dr. Canning and Dr. Rob. Excellent. Very good. All right, let's get into it. And Shafiq, let's start with you, my friend. What are the main causes of IT-related clinician burnout? Well, uh, uh, there is no problem with IT. So let me start with that. Uh, we are getting there. I think uh, in the world of physicians, uh, the Information technology is maturing, but it's not totally coordinated. That's one. Two is that uh, in our world, communication is also important. So that communication, the workflow of the physician, not only the physician, but everybody else that works in that environment, whether it's an MA, whether it's a registration person, and lastly, the revenue cycle for today, these five things that I mentioned, how do we coordinate it and how do we bring it together? And when an emergency happens, how does information technology take care of it? So there, is, there are solutions to it, but these are the basic problems that we are facing as clinicians and as physicians and as caregivers 
on top of the pandemic and we are trying to go home, but we can't because we have to do so many things at the same time. You mentioned revenue cycle. Do you think revenue cycle has a role in burnout? 100%. If the charges don't drop, uh, the physician has to go back and write it up. If he has mentioned the x-rays or if he has done something and the CDI is not there, guess what? You got to go read your document again and change it. So it has to be real time. The entire thing has to be real time so that the, the person who's seeing the patient and writing the comments, it is taken care of after he or she clicks on it, it's done. It doesn't work that way. You still get a call uh, from the CDI department, you forgot this, or did you really mean that? So that also takes, and then of course your inbox is also full with all the comments. So the problem is not one, problem is four or five things. So which revenue cycle is part of it? Yeah, very good, very good. Peter, your thoughts? Yeah, I think on a very general level, any technology or IT workflow that gets in the way of uh, efficient patient care is going to lead to some form of burnout. You know, probably to this audience, there's no big surprise that I think the primary culprit is the electronic medical record, um, largely because they still remain incredibly navigation heavy, uh, oftentimes with cluttered interfaces, uh, you know, frequent intrusive uh, alerts that we're seeing all the time. Um, and because of this, many providers are spending twice as much time interacting with the computer as they are face-to-face -face with patients. Uh, and, you know, as providers, we, we train to take care of patients. So, you know, having to spend more time using the computer than seeing patients is just a huge source of uh, frustration and, and dissatisfaction and, and, frankly, burnout. Um, it's really, you know, I think we're experiencing uh, death by 10,000 clicks, right, instead of uh, death by 1,000 cuts. Um, and, you know, there are other contributors, right? It's not just the EHR. I think redundant work is, is a big problem, uh, having to do the same workflow potentially in two different programs um, is a frustration for providers. There's also a lot of documentation these days uh, required for regulatory reasons that doesn't add value to patient care. Um, I get a lot of uh, providers contacting me about those kinds of things. How can we make them better? Um, and, and a couple others, change fatigue, I think is huge. Um, in the IT world, you know, uh, it doesn't seem like anything lasts for that long. We're constantly updating, changing things. Um, and, and we may, from the IT side, feel like those things are, are adding value, but it's really hard on providers to get used to, you know, a workflow or even uh, the motor memory of a certain interface uh, and then to have that change. Uh, and a lot of providers, I think, feel powerless in this realm, right? They don't feel like they have a voice uh, in the decision-making process for um, how we make these decisions and how we're changing things uh, in IT. So Peter, um, how do you address that powerlessness, that feeling of powerlessness and get clinicians more involved in what IT is planning to do? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we personally have set up uh, some advisory councils. So we have two different uh, clinical and clinical advisory councils um, one for inpatient, one for outpatient, where we invite providers to come. Uh, it's really open to almost anyone who can sit in on those things and, and hear what's coming down the pipeline in terms of change. Um, they can give their input on what they think is valuable. Um, but really, we try to address that uh, through the provider uh, informatics group that, I've, that I have set up, um, you know, having a robust group of provider informaticists who can, you know, weigh in and, and help facilitate those changes reach out to their colleagues, uh, I have found is really powerful in terms of you know, empowering others. Very good, Jose, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, from, from the lens that we look at through communication and collaboration, you know, we see what we experience when we go into health system, do discovery, we, there's a lot of time, time spent searching for people and information um, that isn't at your fingertips, the person or the the information is you knew what you need, but you don't know necessarily how to get there or get there in a circuitous manner. And there's another issue with interruptions. You know, I think most of the time doctors and nurses want to be in front of patients and, um, and a lot of times they're interrupted during those encounters with information that really could wait or isn't prioritized properly. So I think, I think interruptions and, and finding data, something that Gardner calls toil, find, trying to find the right information, trying to find the right people, causes a lot of frustration. Then you throw like, you know, coronavirus and these types of things on top of that just amplifies 
the stress. Uh, so it's kind of something we've been kind of trying to focus on. Dr. Uh, Dr. Rob Shafiq, how do you feel about the state of the EMR um, and, and working with the EMR vendors? Uh, do you look at the EMRs, the best ones out there, and do you say this this will be okay with small iterative changes, and and or do you look at it and just say, oh, I wish we could just go ground up and redo this whole thing? I know that's not reality, but what do you think about that? So uh, there is something known as 2020 hindsight. So I guess I have some of them. Uh, one of the lessons that we learned, uh, I, I applaud Dr. Canning and Dr. Burrow to they, they have very nicely uh, said all the things and I totally agree with them. There's only one fundamental shift that has changed my mind and the way we are doing now electronic health records. In the olden days, we used to bring, uh, we used to bring the doctors or medical informists to do things or something is wrong and then we ask. Now we do not design without their guidance. Mm -hmm. That right. means the, de the design of the EMR is according to the workflow of the doctor, the way he or she practices, rather than the other way in which you put an EHR in and then go, go get trained and go learn after 55 clicks. So that's the first fundamental shift we have done. Second is that we were very happy when electronic health record came because of what digitalization, we didn't know the entire work of it. Now we have become a little smarter. So we are adding machine learning, we're adding predictive, we're adding communication, we're adding workflows. But one of the smartest things that we have done, uh, which we should have done earlier, is get the, the caregivers in from before. And the second smartest thing that I think we are doing now is getting the entire clinic or entire group of doctors together with the MA, with the nurse, with the doctor, because a clinic is not made by a doctor. There are other supporting people and we're giving them the advantage of designing it with them. So when you're asking, it's not the electronic health record itself, but the rebuilding of the electronic health record to match the workflow of healthcare. Uh, and 100% right that we spend a lot of time uh, trying to get to it and get disturbed. Both comments were right. So to answer your question in a very simple way, we are retooling the electronic health record to modify to the workflow of the caregivers. Uh, the, the process, uh, Shafiq, the process of retooling, how is that going? The process of working with your internal physicians to decide, hey, we wish instead of having to do this, we wish it would do this. And then working with the vendor to get it to do that. That's so, so Anthony is bigger than that. One of the things that we find out that the healthcare does not only happen inside. It does not only happen with employed physicians, but also goes to the private physician, also goes to home. So one of the things what we have done is that we have made doctors and caregivers, whether it's the academic medical center, we call it distributed academic medical center, whether it's the academic medical center, whether it's the employed physician, whether it's the community physicians, we have made them all equally powerful and become the leaders of it and have asked the electronic health record vendors to work with them or else we will build our own or go outside and get that solution. Because without that, our, our caregivers will not have joy. So we have only two choices, either get the electronic health record right or go get the technology from people and bolt it on with an API on it. Peter, um, you know, you talked about uh, working with clinicians, involving clinicians in the process, and then and then going to the electronic medical record vendor to get those changes made. Uh, what are what are your thoughts around that process? And is it working well? Is it too slow? Are we getting there? Doctor Rob has said, hey, "Listen, if 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 we can't if we get to the point where we can't get this thing." to where it's bringing joy to clinicians, if that's ever possible, we're gonna go another route. That's pretty dramatic. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think that the, um, the vendors are responsive. I think they do want feedback and, and especially when they know that we have a robust group of provider informaticists, right? Those people provide uh, really high level recommendations. I think part of the problem we run into is that these corporations are, are behemoths, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, so just because we want to change, right, we're a small system in, in Southern Oregon, does that mean a giant academic center somewhere would benefit from the same change? 
and they're you know they're all of these uh, pressures to stay close to the foundation build, right? But we find that we're constantly coming up with faster solutions um, and solving problems that they haven't yet solved, and then eventually they get there and solve the problem, and then we undo the build that we did to accept their new foundation build. But it really wastes a lot of resources because we're putting a lot of time in, you know, building things that then eventually get unbuilt. And, you know, COVID was a perfect example of that. We needed a way to have smart flags of, you know, who'd been tested, who was positive. Um, and we had that functioning in our system months before, you know, the vendor had, had come up with the same system. And so, you know, we did the work on the front end to put it in. We did the work on the back end to pull it out. Uh, and, and so I think therein lies the problem is that a lot of organizations are nimble and have uh, really highly effective uh, analytics departments that can make these changes. But if you get too far away from foundation, right, then there's a whole bunch of maintenance and you essentially get penalized uh, by the vendor. So I, I think that's a really complex problem um, that we haven't figured out yet. Jose, to what degree does your product, uh, do you need to work with the EMR vendors and and play, you know, get them to play nice with you? Um, and, you know, this is overall mm -hmm. issue about burnout. You know, theoretically, what you're providing uh, reduces burnout, it helps with communication, but you need to get it in the EMR. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do work. We, we work with uh, health systems and we do integrate with the EHR for certain things. Obviously we bring ADT feeds in our system and patient information in our system and alerts from the EHR in our system and things like that. Um, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that it's not easy to work with the, we, with the big uh, dominant EHR systems and they're not as responsive as we'd like. We would love to work with them even closer and um, if they work with us very closely, we could do some unbelievable things, but there's a protective, you know, um, stance sometimes uh, being taken uh, where there's a fear of um, allowing us too much leeway. Let me do to do some, some, some deeper integrations, let me say. Mm -hmm. um, so we're constantly working on that and we're finding, you know, where the EHR ends and we begin is a, is a gray line. Uh, that can go, depending on the EHR, it can be, you know, very much to the left or very much to the right, you know. Uh, so it depends on the health system also, the leaders on what, you know, um, how they feel about communication and collaboration and the network and going outside their health system um, uh, versus having a very contained communication system. Uh, so I'll just say that we work with the EHRs, different EHRs in different capacities. Uh, with the big EHRs, we have integrations that, that are meaningful, but, but we would love to see more cooperation, honestly, mm -hmm. um, and, and a little bit better dialogue and openness back and forth. And I think it would be so good for physicians. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm sure we're not the only technology that is saying these things. You know. uh, Shafiq. Um you know, this is about uh, burnout. We talked about frustration that doctors might have with uh, a lot of clicks, a cumbersome navigation, right? We talked about that. You want to bring physicians, get them involved, have their input heard. How do you, what is your communication with the physicians regarding the things you are trying to do, the, the changes that you are trying to get made on their behalf Obviously, we said you need to go to the EMR vendor and say, hey, here are the things we would like. How do you make sure you keep the physicians informed of what you're doing? Sometimes you're going to be successful. Sometimes you're not. You also sometimes, I imagine, need to go back to the physicians and say, I could, we couldn't get it done right now. We can't get it done for six months. But at least if they know what you're trying to do, that may help with their frustration. What are your thoughts around keeping physicians involved with the things you're trying to do on their behalf? So you are, uh, thank you for asking that question. I'll uh, tell you the journey and where I am now and how we have evolved. In the olden days, which was three, four years ago, we used to have a CMIO, Chief Medical Informatics Officer. Their job was just to be a liaison between the physician and the IT people. Then we learned that that is not good enough. Uh, this CHIO and the CMIO are important people. And then we became that they need to be informatics and other things. Then we realized uh, we'll have a committee and ask the doctors to come. 
they give their ideas and then they leave. So as we are evolving, what we found out that uh, if we truly want to listen to the caregivers, then it should be their committee and we go visit it mm. instead of us uh, controlling it and they visit it. So once we learn that, that truly empowering the caregivers to make the decisions and to uh, hold us accountable, there was a shift of power because we can talk about it, but to be realistic about it is their committee, is their decision and hold the EHR vendors accountable to them as well. So when you're asking that question, I mean, I would not have been able to say this if I was not doing this job six, seven times before. So it's not that overnight I have become intelligent. It's not <laughs> like that. So it's, it's a process. It's a process that we have gone through. And ultimately, most important thing is that if there is a, if there is a difficulty in getting to what we have to get there, some of us are lucky, like me, we have development team in the back end. We can actually go change the source code of the EHR if you have to. Or we have partners like Burrow and other people who can give us an interim gap to ultimately fulfill that. But Dr. Canning said that was the most ideal thing what he said is that you built it, then you unbuilt it, and then go build it back again. That puts a lot of uh, pressure on the IT team too. So it's not that we are not depressed. It's not that we are not burned out. But for the greater good of the community, when you're asking about that, there is a constant communication between us and our caregivers, both ways, and we become part of it. That's how we are managing it now. Uh, Peter, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's almost, you know, what Dr. Rob said about um, now we visit the clinician committee. It's not the clinicians visiting us and giving us input and going away. They're in charge. What do you think about that? I mean, we have a similar model. I think that that's largely how our um, physician advisory councils work. It's it's primarily run by um, uh, physicians. It's chaired by non-informatics physicians. I co-chair one of those groups, but I'm not the primary person. We have analysts that attend to answer technical questions, but the conversations are driven by uh, frontline providers. Um, and it is a good way to disseminate information, right? We hear their main concerns, and then we can work with our clients technical teams to see what we can change within our system, but then they're able to diffuse that information, you know, into their own groups. I think, you know, as you mentioned, keeping providers informed about what's happening is really important. There might be a whole bunch of work happening, you know, behind the curtain. And if, if they can't see it, they're not aware of it, then they just feel like IT is not doing anything, not concerned about their, uh, their concerns. So I think, uh, disseminating information uh, is an is an ongoing challenge, right? I'd, I'd like to know what percentage of emails providers actually read because I think it's uh, in the single digits um, most of the time. Um, so we, you know, we put we put key information in in provider newsletters that go out. Um, you know, we, we, we work closely with our IT training team so that when they go out in the clinics to do, you know, at the elbow support, they can disseminate, disseminate information about, you know, what's coming and things that we're working on. Um, so we try to use multiple pathways to, you know, rather constantly send out information about, you know, here's what's coming, here's what we're working on, we hear your concerns, you know, we're working on it, we understand change is oftentimes slow, but uh, at least providers, I think, get the message that we hear them, we care, and we're, we're doing our best. Yeah, and Peter, it's very you know interesting what you said, uh, and Shafiq agreed with it, which is you're willing to make changes to the software uh, that you know you're going to have to undo eventually, um, but you can't wait. I guess that's the mindset is this is such an imperative. This is such a dissatisfier. This is causing burnout. We have to do this. We have the ability to do it first. Some organizations won't even have the ability to make that change. We have the ability to do it. Uh, we're going to do it. And then when the vendor says we're rolling out something with that, we'll pull it out. And hopefully we don't get, I guess, into any trouble here and uh, miss, mess it up too much. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a slippery slope, honestly, right? Because yeah. we could, we could have providers coming to us every day saying, you know, we need this, the, you know, the vendor's being too slow. Um, but everything that comes to you isn't critical and, and doesn't necessarily need to be done. And, and I do think that it is important for the sanity of, um, you know, our analysts in our IT department um, to be very careful about that, right? We do want to stay as close to foundation as we can. And so we spend a lot of time looking ahead uh, in the roadmap from the vendor. So oftentimes providers will come to us and say, hey, we need this 
now and we can say, you know, that's coming, it's two months out, it's six months out, um, but we don't have the resources uh, to build that, you know, three months or six months early, we're gonna have to wait, but it's coming. So as long as we can stay uh, abreast of the changes that the vendor is going to roll out, that helps us communicate um, to providers and, and essentially triage those sort of critical concerns, you know, is it worth um, doing some extra work that we know that we're gonna have to undo um, or, you know, or is it okay to wait a little while to just uh, wait for their solution? Jose, what are your thoughts about all this? Well, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, being on the receiving end of, of feature requests and those types of things and trying to get them out as fast as we can. Um, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, important to get the, the pain solved in any way you can for providers as they're working. You got to do things that, um, that you know, maybe you're a little uncomfortable with and you know it's extra work or it's going to be a redo or whatever. But um, the number one thing is taking care of patients and the people that are taking care of the patients. That's why we exist. That's why healthcare exists. And the focus needs to be on them. And a lot of times it's not. So I, I, I really, you know, I support that, that view that get the things done for the clinician so they can do their job because if they're not happy and they're not efficient, it's terrible for patients, which ultimately is what we're trying to do. Um, right. Um, Let's stick with you, uh, Jose. When we talk about how can IT executives determine where burnout is happening in their specific organizations, now I know you focus in the area of communications and collaboration. Um, how can CIOs figure out, find out if that is a source of frustration in their own organizations? Well, I mean, honestly, what we do when we go into a new health system is just walk the floor. And, you know, we take a look at just take a look at a nurse's device. You know, a lot of times we'll walk in, there's 42 alerts unread on a device. So what is that? Oh, that just goes off and we just touch it, you know, and make it go away. Like, what do you, you live like that? Well, you wouldn't live like that on your personal device, right? And, but people, they pick up a shift, they pick up a phone, they get alerts, they ignore them, and, but it's a constant interruption. So just, I think walking the floor, we learn so much about what's going on and how people are getting uh, where are the alerts are coming from, right? Are they phone calls? Are they alerts from uh, medical devices? Are they messages? You know, and how many of these things are coming and to who? Just getting that information, you just get a really good sense of what, what somebody's shift looks like in terms of alert fatigue, interruptions, and those types of things. Uh, so we learn a lot just by walking around. And that's what we do when we come into a new health system. We just walk around and talk to the nurses on the floors and the doctors. Uh, and, and they'll tell you right away, you know, you spend five minutes with them, you'll know where the pain's coming from. Well, Peter, what are your thoughts around that? How are you finding out uh, the exact areas where burnout may be happening? And you can include the communication and collaboration if you want in that specific area. Yeah, I mean, I have a few thoughts about this. Right? There's some very obvious ways, um, as Jose alluded to, but I think there's probably not a CIO or CMIO out there that's not familiar with a cohort of providers that uh, loudly voice their dissatisfaction with IT changes that are made, right? So you can follow the, the complaint stream. Um, we've tried to get at this with surveys before, but you know, ironically, surveys oftentimes cause some burnout as well in my mm -hmm. experience. Uh, so we don't do that all that often. Um, I think it's really valuable to form relationships and have frequent discussions with uh, practice managers and medical directors in your system, right? They tend to know their groups pretty well. They can usually uh, give you a, a sense of who in their group they think may be struggling with burnout. Um, and again, our training teams also um, are a wellspring of information. They're out in the clinics. Uh, they get to know these providers incredibly well. Um, you know, you ask them who, who they've noticed a change from, you know, a happy, efficient provider to somebody who's struggling, and, and they'll be able to give you a handful of names, I guarantee it. Um, another, you know, interesting way of getting at this that I hadn't really thought about until recently was event reporting. Um, I think every system has uh, a process of looking at event, you know, near misses, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and if you dive into that, you know, you'll oftentimes find that the existing workflows, if they're followed, right, would avoid those errors. But Oftentimes those workflows are complex and cumbersome. Uh, and so providers, especially the ones that are stressed out or burned out, find a workaround. And that workaround is simpler, but it's more prone to errors and, and to risk. 
So if you dive into your event reporting, you will very oftentimes find that there's a pattern of behavior among certain providers. Um, and it's not because they don't care. It's just that they're, they're burned out. They're tired of all the clicks and the work it takes to do things the correct way. So that's an opportunity not only to reach out to those providers, but also to reevaluate your workflows and see if there's a better way uh, to do those workflows. Um, you know, we, so we're an Epic system and, and I personally, I think the most useful tool I've found for this is Signal. For anyone who uses Epic, Signal is a, is a tool that very quickly allows you, even in graphic um, format, to see which providers are working after hours, working on their days off. Uh, so you can jump in there and, and look and see, man, uh, you know, this person has got to be burning out. They're, you know, they're starting their day two hours before their clinic. They're taking a break for dinner and they're in the system working until 2 a.m., right? That's just unsustainable. And you can see that very clearly through Signal. So we use that a lot. Um, in our system, another kind of interesting metric is, is there seems to be a close correlation um, with same-day closure of charts and, and burnout. It seems to be possibly a canary in the coal mine for early burnout if providers are not closing most of their charts on, on the same day uh, as an encounter. Uh, so we've been looking into that, um, that a bit to see if we can learn from it. But those are kind of the main, main ways. So if they're not closing the chart on the same day? That's correct. And especially if they used to be, but mm -hmm. we see them sliding and, and over time they're, you know, they're closing fewer and fewer of their charts. Oftentimes, you know, if you look at that within a couple of months, you'll start to see, look, this person's now working after hours. Now they're working uh, on their weekends where they, they weren't before. But we start to see that um, same day closure of charts metric slide before we see those other problems. So that may be a place where we can, you know, provide an early intervention uh, and reach out to those providers. Shafiq, talk about uh, how you figure out or find out where burnout is becoming an issue. And then second level is once you find out the area uh, and perhaps the why it's happening, there might be a, a selection of remedies, right? So they're burning out because of this app or because of that, because the EMR. Well, okay, what are we specifically going to do about it? to hopefully not make it worse. We don't want our, our cure to be worse than, than the problem was. Well, Anthony, uh, physician burnout, burnout is not an IT issue. Let me explain to you, it's, a, it's happening all over the country. And physicians uh, are very vulnerable. Some institutions, the suicide rate among physicians have gone up too. Uh, the reason these things happen and how you find out. One of the things that's happening now all over the country that people are hiring chief wellness officers. Before there was no wellness officer concept. There was, but it has become more popular. When physicians get trained, uh, like Dr. Canning did and Dr. Barrow did, uh, we are taught patient comes first. We are never show our weakness and uh, and during our residency, uh, we work 36 hours. I don't know now the new rules, what it is. So we are very introvert people and we'll take as much pain as possible. So physicians work that way. It's not that they don't. Uh, and you find out by seeing the energy level starts going down. Uh, and the there are a lot of interventions people are doing. Like people need to understand that Caregivers need to have a life. That means they need to go see their children's baseball game. Uh, some places don't have that and they don't have the time to do that. So when you're asking uh, uh, EHR alone and people who are like Dr. Canning and Dr. Burrow, they are doing their best to minimize that impact. But there are many administrative uh, ways that people are looking at over the health or the mental health, where they can go and talk to people without being anybody knowing it, being discreet, available outside the institution. Those things are people are now talking about. On top of that, when you're asking that, how do you recognize the burnout? So first, if somebody's depressed or overtly or somebody energy level has gone down, a couple of indicators that Dr. Canning mentioned, those are very common that people are not doing their charts, people are not doing their work. And the thing is that also your specific job, medical professionals 
is, is by itself stressful. If somebody says it's not, I don't believe it. <laughs> but you're a specific job and the leaders that you're working for, if they understand your schedule, your timing, and then on top of it, the other administrative work. Uh, one of the very beautiful things that Dr. Jose Barrow said, the amount of interruption that comes in a healthcare provider's time that you are doing, that also takes it away. So collectively speaking, you may recognize by somebody's uh, the efficiency going down. Secondly, the load of work. Third, I don't want to mention pay and other things. That's uh, people talk about that. And the schedule. And then what other work the person is doing. And can we improve the entire clinic or the entire working environment to support that? So that's a holistic way of putting it. I can talk about it for two, three hours, <laughs> but I will be quiet. So, Jose, I guess it's a, it's a question of, like Shafiq was saying, it's a very wide problem. There can be an IT element to it, which we discussed. Um, so I guess IT people just have to do their part. Uh, you may not cure burnout, but you can do your part to try and make the tools as useful as possible. Um, so your thoughts on that. And then um, if you want to discuss... Uh, was identifying frustration with, with current clinical communications one of the reasons you started Halo? Um, did you ever feel burnout at any point in your career? So anywhere you want to take any of those? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, one of the founding stories was me walking through the halls of the, hall, uh, of the hospital and not being able to, I, I didn't know who the nurse was taking care of this patient. I couldn't get in touch with the consultant. Uh, that was was on on the patient. I needed to start, you know, uh, some chemotherapy on this patient, but I needed to know if they needed, you know, if I could do it because the nephrologist, you know, and I, you just couldn't get in touch with anybody. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and and then I had to go back to the office and see patients. I was already late, you know. And my nurse is calling me, you know, and say, you know, so I got three patients in the waiting room. You know, it, it's just that whole toil of not being able to, that was the impetus to start Halo Health. I mean, that's, I, I remember walking through the hall and say, somebody, please fix this. Somebody has <laughs> to fix this. You know? And so I said, well, I'm going to do it. You know, and I started it for my own health system, right? And that's uh -huh. how it started. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you, th this whole thing um, is, you know, a, a lot, great leadership goes a long way in solving these types of problems. You know, what, what I've seen is, when you have great leaders in these health systems who take the bull by the horns and aren't afraid to kind of make hard decisions and take a look at the system as a whole and what they can do for the system instead of um, letting point solutions and you know problems pop up everywhere, um, that's what I've seen be the most successful in, in kind of taking a holistic. If people know you're working on a problem, even though you haven't solved it yet, they feel good and they feel and they feel like they have a strong leadership that's listening to them and that can you know has the potential to solve it it goes a long way but when 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 it has when there's no central solid you know uh leader particularly clinical you know uh, listening and trying to solve and that's that's when people feel helpless and the burnout you know and, and spirals so you know there's a lot of stress like you said there's a lot of things going on in the health system that cause burnout um, but addressing them system wide, one by one, and putting a plan to attack them, you know, can only be done by great, strong leaders in health systems. Um, and that's how this thing is going to be solved. Peter, have you ever, uh, you know, we talked about surveys. Somebody mentioned surveys, and that surveys have their own challenges. Essentially, you're asking someone who theoretically is at the end of their rope to take some time and fill <laughs> fill out and tell me about how you're at the end of your rope. So sometimes getting that request is. Have you had challenges sometimes getting maybe even the ones that are complaining the most getting those physicians to well, you say okay i know you don't come work with us or come be on this committee and help us figure this out well i don't have time i'm burned out <laughs> so it's almost like uh, how do you fix it if you can't get engagement have you had that challenge absolutely yeah i mean trying to get providers to do one extra thing right when they're already burned out uh and and shafiq mentioned this right a, a huge part of um, a happy life, regardless of what you do, is having balance, right? And having time for personal self-care and for your family and your friends and those types of things. So if now we're saying, we want to help you come come in your off time and, you know, and spend extra time at the hospital, right? That just does not go over well. So it's a, it's a huge challenge. I think where we've had success is um, finding providers who have 
have engaged and see the value. And instead of, you know, IT executives, um, you know, pushing that and, and trying to get people to participate, get a provider who has found value um, participating in those committees or engaging in, in some way to talk to those people. Um, because they're, those conversations are more powerful than an executive saying, yeah, we can help you, you know, come, come to this meeting. But, but even so, it is, it is difficult. Um, we've, we've run into this with um, ongoing training as well. You know, I think it's been shown that ongoing training with EHR um, can really significantly uh, improve provider satisfaction with the electronic health record. But getting providers to engage in that training is incredibly difficult, right? Because you, you, you can't really do it during clinical time. Um, if you do it after hours, not many people want to come. We've looked at, you know, trying to do it at wineries and, you know, bribe people to come and have a glass of wine and also do some, some training. Um, but none of that really has worked for us. So I'm now in the process of trying to co-opt existing meetings and saying, hey, you know, once or twice a year, let my training team come and take over this meeting and we'll do some uh, some training so that, um, you know, it's not another expectation that people show up on their on their own time. But but frankly, even that is hard. And it's it's an uphill battle to get people to engage. Well, I think that's a really interesting point to try and take over an existing meeting. A really interesting idea. Um, Shafiq? Uh, what would you like me to comment on? I saw you smiling and nodding and agreeing when when uh, Peter was talking about how it can be difficult to get physicians to engage. It, you're trying to help. You mentioned you want them to run the committee. I want so, you to run the committee, and I'm going to visit. Well, that sounds like a tall order to get them to agree uh, to that. Uh, brother, I mean, you know, Dr. Canning is a phenomenal person, and his wisdom is right on the track. My, I was smiling because... Uh, so I bought this new uh, iPhone. I gave in. Last one I had was a, a, a i10. So 13 okay. came out. I bought a Yeah. Uh, I, I put it in. I never called Apple to give me support. And uh, I put all the apps back in. I didn't call anybody. And it was totally intuitive. So I was smiling of all those things we are doing. Uh, things in software have to become meaningful and they have to become pleasurable. Uh, and technology is little behind with we can use voice and other things to make it pleasurable. So a day will come, that's how I was smiling with it. We are all talking because he was saying that it's so hard to bring somebody for ongoing training. He's so right. The reason is that we are adding burden to it. So how do we unburden it and make the software meaningful and pleasurable that it actually does what it's supposed to do. Nobody has to ask anybody to get on TikTok, okay? I'm having a good time, then I have to stop myself after an hour that I have watched <laughs> enough. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I was smiling on my TikTok habit. So you caught me on that. It's like it dawned upon me that how do we make technology pleasurable and meaningful? That's what it is. Uh, are you making videos yet? Dr. Rob, a little dances, doing little dances or what? Oh, yeah. But even though they're also a chore. So that's how, how do you unchore it? That's what we are working No, no, on. It's, it's a great point, uh, Jose. That's a, it makes an excellent point, right? We talk about, yeah. and Peter's sure. point is totally valid, which is if they would come to extra training on the EMR, they would learn all these shortcuts and one clicks where they're doing four and it would make it much more pleasurable. And doc, yeah. they're, both their points are valid. Dr. Rob is saying it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't yeah. have to get extra training. It, 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 here's the problem. The, the, you know, the lines are diverging more and more, you know, like uh, Dr. Rob said, you know, you get your iPhone, you set it up, boom, 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 go here, here, next, and then you're done, right? A very complicated piece of software and it's intuitive. And it's, it doesn't even come with instructions, right? You order Google Wi-Fi, it comes in a box, you open it up, you hit three buttons, boom, it's lighting up your whole place. No instructions. And so the, the, the healthcare, particularly the EHR world, right? It's just separating and separating so far with our reality and our personal life that it comes to a point where you say, what's, what's going on here, right? Well, what's going on is these things were built 30 years ago. Right. And, and, and 20 years ago and, you know, and, and, and were created not to make your life better. Right. They were created for a separate purpose. Right. Which is documentation and billing and, and those types of things. We all know that. 
right? So this is kind of a, it's very difficult when your DNA is not making people happy and intuitive user experience to switch that. It's almost impossible, right? And so this is what you're seeing. So how long will those things diverge to our personal life and our professional life where we say, something's got to give here, right? Um, yeah, so. and, and Anthony, the difficulty was that in the past, we didn't have APIs, we didn't have interoperability. So one of the good things that legislation has done that has allowed us to do these things that we want to do. So like Jose said, is, is diverging. So I think new technologies will come up and because of the interoperability and the APIs, you may see something different. That's what I'm saying. With AI built in, intelligence built in, it's coming. Nobody can stop it because the demand is there. Are, are we talking about bolt-ons, add-ons to the EMR. The EMR is not going away, is it? Not yet. Not yet. EMR will not go, but uh, bolt-ons and APIs will come. It's not that nobody can stop it because the, the technology demand and the ease of use, there is a demand from the consumer. There is demand from the uh, consumer of all parts, patients or doctors or anybody else. And there are solutions from technology company. But the impediment was how to bolt it to the EHR, mm-hmm. and that is being removed. So, Peter, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with with all of those things. It's uh, it, again, it's just complicated to um, make I think massive, profound change within the size of these these EHRs. You know, but um, you know what I would love to see is using some machine learning, right? These EHRs. Um, based on where I am in the chart or what I'm doing, almost certainly know what my next step is going to be, right? If I open that chart as an ER doc, I'm going to look at the patient's vitals. I'm going to look at the nurse's note. I'm probably going to glance at their uh, chart to see if they were recently seen somewhere else. Then I'm going to go see the patient. Then I'm probably going to put in orders, right? The, The EHR knows that probably with a high level of certainty. So instead of showing me 50 buttons and a complex screen that I can click on, right? Show me the, the three things that I'm almost certainly going to do next. Um, you know, make this a dynamic, smart system that, that helps us by predicting, um, you know, our, our behavior patterns. And I don't think it's unrealistic to think that that's uh, a possibility. But again, you know, as Jose said, that's, that has not been um, the motivation behind these products uh, to make our lives as providers easier and to make uh, patient care more streamlined. But that is the direction that we should head. These new technologies, like everyone's saying with, you know, the iPhone and things that are so intuitive, let's apply that to the EHR, right? I mean, that would, I think, immediately improve uh, patient care and, and provider satisfaction. Dr. Kenning, it's coming next April. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm building it for six specialty. I can take it. Sign me up. I said, all right, listen, we're almost out of time. I want to get a, a final thought from everyone. Um, again, let's remember our overarching uh, discussion here is about reducing burnout. So let's say you're speaking to a CIO or a CMIO at a health system that is, they know it's an issue and probably every, for every single one of them, it is, they know it's an issue in their health system. Um, and they just want to make sure that they're doing the main, the top three things to, to try and work on this problem. So let's get a quick comment from everybody. Uh, Shafiq, please go first. Help the, the caregivers do things minimum, communicate, with each other, whoever, and help them find the information because that is very hard and anticipate the next move. Those are the three things. Mm-hmm. Very good. Peter? No, I think having provider informaticists is uh, worth its weight in gold, right? If you can set up a good provider informatics program, these are people that um, understand both sides of this, right? They understand clinical medicine. They understand the IT side of things. And we've unleashed these people in our organization to, you know, to be involved with order set design, alert fatigue initiatives, uh, clinical decision support tool implementation, in-basket optimization, you know, documentation efficiency, automation. I mean, I could go on and on. All of these things go an incredible distance in 
um, and diminishing uh, provider dissatisfaction and, and working against burnout. So, you know, if you're an IT leader that does not have a group of engaged provider informaticists, you know, start developing that program. It's worth it. And, and if you do have a program, then um, lean on these people in it and enlist your informaticists to regularly engage with their colleagues um, to discuss these, you know, IT-related issues. Um, another area I would say, I guess, uh, finally, that can be helpful is to reach out to clinical directors and ask them to include a standing agenda item on their staff meetings that's an, an IT check-in, right, mm-hmm. where they're, they're checking in with their group to determine what IT-related initiatives are working and, and what isn't and what they'd like to see, and then have them communicate that back to you uh, as an executive. You will learn so much information uh, if you can get them to put that on uh, their meetings as a standing agenda item. So those are my recommendations. Perfect. Jose? Yeah, I think, you know, something that we talk about a lot at Halo Health, you know, for the IT leader, I would say we call it the three amigos, the CIO, the CMIO, and the CNIO, or or their corresponding leaders, is making, you know, get that group very tight on a system-wide strategy. Uh, And because a lot of these things that in our experience is because point solutions pop up and what, what the nursing leadership is doing is not connected to what the physicians are thinking about or what the IT people are thinking about. And sometimes that really creates those point solutions, create uh, problems with burnout and things like what we talked about today. So I would say the three amigos, a strong strategy uh, to, to combat burnout system-wide um, is, is really important from our standpoint. Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our panel. Tremendous conversation today. Dr. Shafiq Rob, Dr. Peter Canning, and Dr. Jose Barreau. And I want to thank Halo Health for sponsoring and making this event possible and our attendees for joining. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.